I love the fall. And it's not just because it's 114 minutes to kick off of the first game of the Patriots. <laughs> you know, fall is one of those times, you know, it's summer is, is wonderful times, warm weather, it's family picnics, it's hikes on a Sunday, it's visit to the lake, camping trips over the weekends, all these wonderful things we do to enjoy this wonderful creation that God's given us. And then we come to the the weekend after Labor Day, and it's kind of back to church time. You know, it's time to kind of get, get back into the routine of being a part of the things that feed our souls and, and move us forward. And I encourage you as uh, we launch into the fall of 2010 to, to make church a part of your habit. In fact, encourage somebody else to make it a part of their habit as well, to be involved with God's people, to be in a life group where they get to kind of put faces with the body of Christ as well as to join together in worship. But, but I also love the fall because as a, as a preacher and as a church leadership team, as we kind of slow down and get ready to relaunch things in the fall and ministries kind of get started up again, it's a, it's a wonderful chance for us to, to take a look at you know, our purpose. Why, why are we here? What are we doing? And, and to go back and kind of get back to that baseline for us. And in case you didn't know it, since the very beginning of our journey as a congregation, beginning back in April of 2002, we've had a guiding mission statement for us, our purpose statement, and it's going to come up here on your screen. Let me read that for you. It says, Hope Chapel exists to assist everyone to experience all God intends them to be by providing the loving spiritual community in which they can experience the life-changing love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, just a little bit of an interpretation out for the, you, for those who, who really prefer, you know, let me use a, a churchier way of saying the same thing. When I read that phrase, to assist everyone to experience all God intends them to be, what that says to me is, is that our mission is to disciple serious sinners to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's what our mission is. The way we do that is by being the loving spiritual community in which they can experience God's love. So that means we need to be sold out in our love for God and sold out in our love for one another. That's one of the reasons why we encourage you to be a part of a, of a small group. If you're not, if you, you know, some of you have, have life small groups that you've been a part of for years or have something on your campus or whatever, wonderful. If not, find a life group at Hope Chapel. Plug in and be connected to the body of Christ. But it's the place where we learn how to do radical love for God together. And I don't know what other term you can use to describe the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength than the word radical. But as we get started a few years ago, we, we asked the, the next generation of question. God, not only what, what do you want our purpose to be, but, but how do you want us to try to live out that purpose? No, I've always been jealous of the Apostle Paul because he knew that his ministry was to Gentiles. He didn't have any doubt that God had given him a segment a huge segment, but a segment of the lostness that was around him to make a difference to. Peter had a sense of direction to the, to the Jews. And so his ministry was guided in that direction. As you read church history, others went off in various directions, feeling a, a particular slice of burden. You know, as we kind of started Hope Chapel, what, was there a, a, a segment, a, a personality type, a character, if you will, inside of this community that, that God really wanted us to be especially equipped to try to reach. And we didn't get overly specific with that, but we did come up with a sense of our understanding of what our mission was supposed to be. And, and many of you are, are aware of the fact that, you know, the person living next door to you, maybe the one who's sleeping in the room down the hall from you, I mean, it's, you know, they, they have an experience with church. 
You know, they went to the Baptist church as a kid, or they went to the Congregational Church, or the Methodist, or Roman Catholic, or whatever. And, and when you talk about going to church, and you're thinking, all right, I'm going to hear from God. God's going to change my life. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be happier. I'm going to be more joyful. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be wiser. You're thinking all those things. What they're thinking when you say go to church, they're thinking, boring, archaic, not understand, I don't understand any of it. You know, and they're not getting any of that. I mean, they, when they think about trying to figure out how to do life in the 21st century, the last place they would think to go is to God's church or to faith in Jesus Christ. Because it just never worked for them before. So we tried to start a congregation that would particularly speak to those kinds of people. And so we, we tried to engage those who no longer believe that Christ and his church are relevant in finding answers to living well in the 21st century. And in the way that we engage them, that they become fully devoted followers of Christ. Now, we've got a lot to learn in that journey still. We're constantly asking ourselves a question as a leadership team and, and asking, you, how do we do that? How do we get better at that? How, does, how do we become more faithful and effective as communicators of the good word? But there's, there's a lot that you see around you that is driven by this desire to reach people who had kind of given up on the church as the place to really meet God and have their lives changed. Our facility is a little bit of a statement. It's bright, well-lit, natural lighting coming in so you can see our air compressors out the window and all this wonderful stuff, make it, make it night, you know, no stained glass, that kind of stuff, but it's a place that looks like it's alive, a place you can live in. Our technology, such as it is, you know, we have this projector on the ceiling and, you know, we have the LCDs out in the lobby and the way we communicate through e-letter, et cetera, trying to reveal to folks, hey, you know, we're, we're, this is the 21st century. You don't have to step into a time warp in order to go to church. We also try to celebrate the life-giving God that we get together. And so our worship has a tendency to be a little bit more upbeat and those kinds of things. And, you know, I think God's honored it. That's one of the reasons why we've grown. Not because of anything we did, but because of the way God chose to use Hope Chapel. It's created some heartache along the way. There's some of you who would prefer a little different style of worship, a different feel or flavor, if you will, to our services. I understand that. It's also created some heartache for us as well because, we, you know, as we... As we lead by conviction that God's called us to fulfill this mission, it often seems to some that we, their, their input falls on deaf ears, and it doesn't. But we work by conviction, but not by preference. And I encourage you to continue to share with us insights on how we can do this better. And there certainly are elements that we can grow and, and be shaped in, you know. And, and for the most part, you know, I, I, I love getting that input. I have to admit I had a bad Sunday about a year, year and a half ago. We had, we had a... You know, even your pastor has to have a big, be allowed a bad moment every once in a while. It was after the, our, the service, and we were out in the lobby, and there was a, a person here, an older person. It was the first time they'd ever worshiped with us, and they haven't been back. And, you know, and um, I don't know, maybe it was just the cream I put in my coffee that day, because I usually drink it black. But this person had sought me out and really kind of got right in my face and said, you know, in order to have a great church, you've got to have an organ. You know, and I just kind of looked at the guy, and I just tried to be pastoral, said, you know, there's lots of ways to worship God, and God's just kind of listening to this. Says, no, 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 you have to have an organ to worship God. And then the bad pastor part took over. <laughs> and I said, I said, boy, you know what? Those people meeting in Africa without electricity underneath a tree would be really sad to hear that they can't worship God. And then I just kind of walked away. <laughs> so, and he's not been back. So that's the way it goes. <laughs> but it's not always like that. And we really do value your input. And we try to work it into the ways that we pursue this conviction of the mission that God's given us. This summer, as I began to pray about how we're going to launch our fall, these things came back to my heart and mind. 
And God used the series that we did through the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation to speak to me about something. You know, in Revelation 3.8, he says, I put before you an open door that no one can shut. Do we have the eyes to see that door? Revelation 3.20, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens it, I will go in and dine with them and they with me. And Do we have the ears to hear God knocking on our lives? You know, one of our fundamental theological convictions about God is that he's everywhere, right? God's omnipresent. He's everywhere. You know, we read 139, Psalm 139, we love it. You know, psalmist asks the question, where can I go and hide from God's presence? And the answer is nowhere. You can go to the highest heaven or the deepest hell. You can go to the valleys, the mountaintops. You can go east or west. You can't go anywhere from God. God's everywhere, right? Romans 8, 28 for 30. You know, where, who can separate us from the love of Christ? What can separate us from the love of Christ? Well, God's love, God's everywhere. There's no place that we can go. We, we celebrate the fact that God's always with us. Have you felt them yet today? You know, it's really a struggle for us, you know? We, we understand that God's present everywhere, but do we really live with a realized presence of God among us? Sometimes I think I, we're a lot like Gehazi, and God wants us to be like Elisha. Some of you are familiar with that story in 2 Kings chapter 6. You know, um, Elisha, among his many skills as a prophet of God, was a one-man military intelligence unit. He was all that Israel needed, the nation of Israel. They were in conflict with the nation of Aram. And, and every time the king of Aram would get together with, his, with, the, with the joint chiefs of staff and they would plan their strategy and how they were going to attack Israel, God would just give it to Elisha. And he would just send a messenger off to, to the king of Israel and said, oh, they're going to attack over here or they're going to attack down there or whatever. And, and, and the king of Aram, he just got fed up with it. He says, what's the matter? We got, we got somebody in our midst who's a spy for Israel. That's exactly his statement, you know. And they said, no, 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 no. It's not anybody here. It's Elisha. There's this prophet over in Israel, and God just tells him everything that, he's t- that we're talking about. And so the king said, we've got to get rid of this guy. So they send a battalion after him. And, and, and Elisha and Gehazi, his servant, are residing in a little village called Dothan. And this battalion surrounds the village during nightfall. And they wake up in the morning, and Gehazi gets up first. He's a servant. So he gets up to make the coffee and get the toast going and that kind of stuff. And, and so he gets up, and he, and he walks outside to kind of get the fire started. And he, and he looks up, and they're totally surrounded by this battalion from Aram. And he just freaks out. I mean, he goes running back, and he says, my master, what are we going to do? We're totally surrounded, and we're outnumbered. And, and Elisha gets up, you know, he walks outside, and he takes a look around, and he says, nah, we're all right, we outnumber them. What do you mean we outnumber? There's two of us. You know, and there's just a few people, and how do we outnumber them? And Elisha prays, he says, Lord, open his eyes that he can see. And God answers his prayer. And Gehazi looks up again, and then surrounding the city is the army of Aram. And surrounding the army of Aram is the chariots of fire that God has sent. And there truly is more with Elisha and Gehazi than with the nation that's come to attack them. Can we see that? See, if our theology is that God's active, he's at world, he's this, at work, he's this eternal now that's always with us, how do we hear from him? How do we see him? How do we stay in sync with him as we live our lives every single day? How do I really recognize when God's present with me, when I'm taking a walk through my office aisles to get to the bathroom or get a cup of coffee and I encounter people? How do we get to those pieces? How do we hear God call, ring us on our phones right in the middle of our service? <laughs> You know, our theology ought to be that God is as real, and he is as real as this wood that's in front of me. And we need to develop the skills to see that and to hear it and to be in sync with it. And that's what we're going to talk about for these next few weeks, is how do we see God's presence, his activity? How do we hear his voice, hear his call? 
But I want to start with a very simple passage in the Gospel of John, the 10th chapter, the 27th verse. I want to read it in context in verses 22 through 30. And if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 10. If you're using one of our pew Bibles, quite appropriately, that text today is found on page 911. 911. As we prayed just a few minutes ago. Our focal verses, chapter 20, verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Let's back up and read it in context. Jesus, throughout the, this 10th chapter of, of John, has been using this imagery between of a shepherd and, and the sheep throughout, throughout that journey. Picking up with verse 22. Then the, then the festival of dedication took place in Jerusalem, and it was winter. In the Gospel of John, whenever you see a reference to a season, it's not just the time of year it took place, but it's, it, it speaks to the spiritual climate. It was a cold time. Spiritually, it was a cold time in the nation of Israel. They were celebrating the festival of dedication. We know this festival today is Hanukkah. This is a time when they celebrated the, the purification of the temple after it had been defiled during the days of the Maccabees by Antiochus, who was king over the, that area of the world at that point, ruler, and he defiled the temple and offered pigs on the altar and all that kind of stuff. And, and there had been this tremendous uproar, and they had thrown off their oppression, and they had purified the temple, and they celebrated that every day. And every year as a festival of dedication, and, and, and the, as the, the legend goes, they, they had only had one unit of oil to run the lamps that stood on the altar that had been purified and prepared right. And it was only designed to work, last for a day, and it lasted for eight days until they were able to prepare more oil. And so they burned eight candles throughout that journey. Jesus was walking in the temple complex in Solomon's colonnade, and the Jews surrounded him. And they asked him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? We want to know, right? Hey, you, we want to know. If you are the Messiah, just tell us plainly. There are no more stories, no more. Just tell us plainly. Are you the Messiah? He said, I did tell you, and you didn't believe. Can't hear, right? Can't hear. I did tell you, and you didn't believe. Jesus answered them, the works that I did in my Father's name, see, they can't see either, right? The works that I did in my Father's name testify about me. Can't see. They have a looking and a listening problem. But you don't believe because you are not my sheep. See, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, ever. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me, he's greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Verse 30 he pretty much answers their questions kind of plainly, doesn't he? But in that journey, he communicates a truth to us. Here is this group that was looking, quote-unquote, for answers, seeking to hear an answer. But they couldn't see it. They couldn't understand it. They couldn't comprehend it because they weren't one of his sheep because they didn't believe. It says, my sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. In this passage, Jesus talks about the need to be able to hear his voice. He talks about our need to be able to see where he's going so that we can follow. But it all starts with an identification with Christ, a relationship with Christ. There is no way that any of us are going to be able to hear the voice of God and see his hand at work around us and know how to be in sync with him and to walk with him and join him in his activity unless we're one of his sheep. And that means positionally we need to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I use this term kind of technically because the Scripture loves to talk about us be, uh, being in Christ. If any man is in, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. You and I need to be in Christ in order to have the ability to hear God and to respond to Him. 
You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.18, he says, See, to those who are perishing, to those who aren't the sheep, the gospel or the cross is foolishness. Makes no sense at all to those who aren't of the sheep. They can see the works, they can hear the message, and they don't believe, they don't get it because they're not one of his sheep. To those who are perishing, the message of the cross is foolishness. He followed it up in chapter 2 of that first letter to the church at Corinth. He says, the the natural man, the person without God, the one who's not one of Jesus' sheep, the natural man does not welcome what comes from God's Spirit. I got to tell you, if you and I have a listening problem to God, if we can't see him, it probably starts with the fact that you and I aren't really Jesus' sheep. You see, as a person without Jesus Christ, we have zero capacity to form a relationship with God. Zip. Now, God has the ability to form a relationship with us, but we have zero capacity to form a relationship with God. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Ray Allen was with us, and he was, he was talking about one of the words in the great old hymn, Amazing Grace, you know, that saved a wretch like me. He's talking a little bit about what that word wretched meant. And, you know, we don't always have to understand it means that, that the person sitting next to us is a potential axe murderer. That's not what it means. That word wretched really kind of points at a, at a spiritual condition that some have called total depravity. And it doesn't mean that we have the capacity for just every kind of evil, because we know better than that. Some of you would never do some things that would be that harmful to others. But what it does mean is that in the sin act, our own volitional choice to violate what we know is right before God, we destroy in us every ability to form a relationship with God from our end. You've got no capacity. The wages of sin is death. That means you have no, all spiritual life is gone. You know, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the garden, they knew they couldn't relate to God anymore, so they went hiding, right? And they weren't ready for full disclosure anymore, so they're looking for the fig leaves. There is no way to communicate with God without a relationship with Him. We try hard. The world tries hard. That's why we get so many conflicting messages in our society about who God really is and what He's up to. You know, this past weekend, Christina and I were, were blessed. We were invited to participate with a number of other pastors with, in a pastor's encouragement retreat. It's a ministry out of the South that, that has chosen New England and, and has developed a love for a lot of our pastors up here. And so they invited us to come. And we, we got to go at all expenses paid to, um, for Thursday, Friday, and, and Saturday. We went up Thursday and stayed Thursday night and Friday night at the Grand Summit Resort Hotel at Sunday River. It was wonderful. You know, Friday night, they fed us all you can eat, steak and lobster, to 275 people. A wonderful time. And Dr. Jay Wolf was there as the preacher to, to kind of encourage us. And he told this story, and I think it applies to our struggles with being able to communicate clearly with God as somebody who's not a part of the sheepfold of God. You know, he told a story about a, a guy who, you know, is approaching later in life, 60s and just really trying to kind of go backwards, you know. And so he's, he's dyed his hair jet black. He's gone back to his Saturday night fever days. You know, he's wearing his shirt unbuttoned down to about here. And he's got the gold chain hanging over his gray hair sticking out of his shirt, you know. And he's gotten this, this girl who's like less, well less than half his age to be with him. And he's, you know, he's just kind of walking through the community, just, you know, just really being a cool swinger, you know. And he, and he, and he bumps into his cardiologist. He says, hey, doc, how you doing? And the cardiologist says, what are you doing? He said, well, you told me to get a hot mama and to be cheerful. The doctor said, no, I didn't. I told you you had a heart murmur and to be careful. (laughs) I'm glad you laughed at that. So did the first service. I don't always do well with jokes, but, you know, it's funny and humorous. But when you apply it to our spiritual condition, 
It's heartbreaking. When you're not of the sheep of God, if you're not a part of the fold, you can't hear God on your own. See, the, the message of the gospel isn't that God loves us. The message of the gospel is that God has loved us enough that he's paid the price to erase the consequences that sin creates in our lives and creates spiritual deafness and spiritual blindness. Because that's what sin does. It destroys all of our ability to connect with God. And, you know, can, can people, lost people, people who aren't of the sheep, can they hear from God? I, yeah, absolutely. God has the ability to communicate with us. I think part of it is that as much of that message they don't want to hear. You know, I, I think that, that when Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, the paraclete, He's going to convict the world concerning sin, judgment, and righteousness. I mean, I think that's the message that God tries to get across to those who don't have ears to hear him. And I got to tell you, if you're somebody sitting here this morning and you don't, you don't have a personal, you don't know for sure that you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not that you just always believed in God, but somehow or another, you know you've made the specific choice to walk with it. If you're not sure about that, if God's convicting you about sin in your life, if there's anxiety about your eternal destiny, what's going to happen at the judgment, those, God's speaking to you. And as you respond to those and respond to the good news of the gospel, it opens up wonderful doors to be able to hear God at every moment in our lives as we go forward. I want to tell you, if you don't have that conviction that you're one of God's sheep today, I want to invite you to become a part of God's household, a part of his sheepfold, if you will, part of his herd. So this verse 27 applies to you, that you are, that my sheep, I'm his sheep, and I hear his voice, and, I, and he knows me, and I follow him. If you're not sure how to take that step, I encourage you on the backside of your connection card, you can just check off, I want to become a follower of Christ, and we will follow up with you this week. You can look around and see some of the folks who stood up as life group leaders, and you can go to them and say, you know what, I want to be Jesus' sheep today. How do I do that? And they'll lead you to it, or they'll direct you to somebody who will have the time to spend with you and to do that today. There's no way to hear from God. There's no way to see God regularly without being his sheep. But it's not just positional identity with Christ. We also have to maintain proximity to Christ. You know, Jesus said, come, follow me. He didn't say come, and then that's it. He didn't say come, and then go. He said, come, follow me. Stay close to me. It's interesting that... um, that in some of the reading I did this week in preparation for this particular passage, they were going back to some glimpses of that shepherding culture from the late 1800s and how a a shepherd would lead his flock over the hills and valleys out to good grass and then back into the village or to some other holding place and et cetera. And, And, you know, there are times when he would get so far out in front of the sheep because they would dally around a particular green, luscious past patch of grass, you know, that he would almost get out of eyesight and out of earshot from them. And there are times when he would, you know, he would issue a special call and the, the lead sheep, the one who was wearing the bell, would trot after him. And when that bell kind of got out of, out of earshot and the rest of the sheep couldn't hear him, they, they would kind of pop up to attention like, all right, where'd they go? Kind of idea. They, they knew they had drifted away. And then the shepherd would lay out just the one last call. And it wasn't just like, you know, it was like some, some kind of a special call. It wasn't like words. It was like a duck call or whatever. They each developed their own. It's an incredible thing. The Scripture calls us to stay close to Christ. You know, Jesus pictured life like a storm. He said the wind's going to blow, the rain's going to fall, the river's going to rise. It's going to burst against your house. It's going to try to carry you away. If you're not swimming against the current spiritually, you're drifting away. That's what Hebrews tells us. You need to pay much closer attention to what you've seen and heard, lest you drift away from it. And it was interesting that the sheep learned their master's voices so well. See, we, we live in a, in a time when, 
when, you know, we raise sheep, you know, and then, and then we just slaughter them off for lamb chops, and then we start over again, right? You know, I mean, I was down in Mississippi one time staying with a family while I was doing some preaching in, the, in several churches down there. And right, literally right out across from them was this big chicken coop. And they raised like 70,000 like 70, chickens in this coop like every 12 weeks, you know. But that wasn't, and, and then they just went off and they turned into Purdue chickens. And you guys eat them on Sunday and that kind of thing. And you know, that's not what they, they, these sheep were for wool. These sheep stayed with their master until they died. And they, and they literally could bring all the sheep from the village belonging to multiple shepherds, put them in one pen at night. And when they would leave in the morning, one shepherd could go this way, another one that way, and one this way. And they would just call out to their sheep and they would just segregate themselves and go after their master. Because they knew the voice so well. When they stayed out on the, the plains at night in the warmer weather, they built these rock pens, literally. And they'd build them up just high enough that the sheep couldn't jump over them. And they would leave a door opening into this pen that was the exact same width as the shepherd. And the shepherd would issue, you know, direct his sheep into the fold, and then he would lie down across the opening. And that's why Jesus says he's the door of the sheep. He lies down. Do you reconnect with God regularly? Do you climb back into the sheep pen with the door of the sheep on a regular basis? I don't care if you call that morning meditations or quiet time or your read the Bible through plan or whatever it is. Do you have a time when you really connect with God? You engage with others and praying for one another. Stay fervent in your relationship with God. I mean, are you relationally connected and close to God? Are you in close proximity to him? You know, I came under conviction about this as I was preparing and and we, um, you know, I, I usually do my quiet times, my daily times with the Lord at the church. You know, I get up in the morning, I have my coffee, I read the paper, and then I come to the office and I, and I do my, my time with God. And, you know, I need to do that at home. I need to do it at home where the rest of my family can see that I'm climbing into the pen and letting Jesus close the door and I'm staying close to him in that relationship. You know, there's a prayer that says, you know, um, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's a song that we sing. Let me change it just a little bit. Draw near to Christ. He's already there. He's already there. We have these symbols on the table before us of the cup and of the bread. They are a never-ending call and reminder to us that we can become one of Jesus' sheep and to live in closeness to him. Let's pray together. Just a moment of quiet. God, as we come this morning with a fresh appreciation that sin can bar our access to something that's already with us, your presence. We confess to you that we are sinners in need of grace, people of iniquity who need forgiveness, lost sheep that need to come back into the fold. God, convict us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment that we might be your sheep, hear your voice, and follow you. And thank you for the perpetual invitation that your table is as it calls us into a positional and a proximus. I don't even know if that's a word, a proximus relationship with Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you're always at work. And we see it now in these elements. In Jesus' name, amen.